This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2-0, and he's... What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe! From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair... Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. It is the walk-off, Blue Wire's walk-off. With me, Holden Kushner, got Ryan Spader, the ace of Spader. And today, you know, it was a very nerve-wracking couple of hours here for Spader because he's telling me how to do the show, right? So he'd never done radio <laughs> or podcasting before. And you're coming on, Glenn. So he's telling me how to – he's like, you know, I'll do the out since I know that. You do the start, and then we'll steer the interview this way. So I said, you know what, Spader, right now, screw it. You introduced this Philadelphia sports radio legend, just a legend in my business. You introduced him. Oh, man, you're giving me a hard time. Well, uh, Glenn is somebody who I've listened to my entire life. Uh, I used to call into his show. Uh, I don't even know that I was one of his favorite callers when I did call in because I would pester him. But um, he's been kind enough <laughs> to uh, give me – um, last season, for example, a segment on his show where we were talking nothing but numbers, and it's been one of my favorite things. He's also been kind enough to have me at his um, uh, brewing company, Contra Hawking Brewing. And uh, typically, I know he likes to give me a hard time because I enjoy a Miller Lite, but um, I don't really, uh, I don't really dabble in the craft brews. But I gotta, I gotta give him some credit. His uh, his brewing company is fantastic, and I've always enjoyed my uh, my drinks there. Well, it's my pleasure, and uh, it's my pleasure to be with you guys tonight. And and someday, Ryan, when you get big boy tastes, I'll convince you to drink big boy beer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've only convinced Holden to have one beer with me ever. All the times I've hung out with him, one beer. I don't like it. I don't like <laughs> it. Just doesn't agree with yeah. me, guys. It's a very popular. Yeah, yeah, it must be good because it's very popular. It's just not for me. Yeah, and I'm busting Ryan Stones, but you know what? Whatever anybody likes is the right thing to drink. That's really how I feel. It's not for me to tell you what you should like. Spade, are you there? Yeah, sorry. Cut out for a second. We'll have to drop this. Um, so, uh, 
Glenn, uh, one of the first things that we want to talk to you about is um, Bryce Harper. And, you know, he had his first season with the Phillies. Uh, Holden covered him when he was with the Nationals. Uh, mm-hmm. How different do you think it is for him to play in Philadelphia versus D.C.? Um, well, I, I think probably less so for him than for a lot of other guys because Bryce Harper has always been the guy in the spotlight since he was a high school kid on the cover of Sports Illustrated, right? So he's a guy who fans have always paid attention to. He's a guy, expectations have always been really high. He's a guy who's always gotten booed on the road, even when he doesn't do anything. So being in the middle of a spotlight to him, I I don't think it was that different. Look, it's it's a new market and last year, and it's not unusual at all to see a free agent struggle in a new market and then come on really strong second year, third year. In the end, and Ryan, you're the stats guy. I thought he had a pretty good year, not a great year, but um, you know the the oddity of this season aside, I think that. He really likes it here. I think he's really bonded with the fans. I think that some of the stories that came out early last year that Philly fans are giving him a hard time were nonsense. People really like him and want him to, want him to succeed. Yeah, I agree completely as a Philly fan. it's um, I, I think he is – you know, much more somebody who embodies Philadelphia even than, you know, a Jim Tomey, who was a huge free agent signing that we had. Although Tomey always had that um, blue collar worker type ethic that Philly fans seem to like. Uh, we had Darren Ravel on recently, and he said he thinks mm-hmm. Harper will actually struggle this season without fans. He thinks that that gives him like some sort of energy or something. And then said a guy like Mike Trout will probably just play Mike Trout's game. Do you think Harper will potentially have a hard time without having a packed ballpark? No, I think Darren Ravel's guessing there. I I don't think anybody knows how anybody's going to do. And I know that we're all supposed to have very strong opinions and say, this is what's going to be. But this year is going to be so odd in so many ways without fans being the biggest. I mean, without really a dugout, you're not going to sit with the guys in the dugout. You're going to sit in the stands. Pitchers aren't going to be allowed to put their fingers to their lips. Everything is going to be so different and so odd that I think it's impossible to know how it plays out for anybody. I get the point, right? Players who don't like to be in the spotlight will benefit. Players who do like the adulation of the crowd will not. But I, I, I don't know. I, I have no reason to believe that Bryce Harper won't do well. Um, and you and I talked, I know I'm going to change the subject just a little bit here, but Ryan, you and I talked about what are the chances that somebody in, in 60 games could hit 400 or, you know, somebody in 60 games could hit 25, 30 home runs or some, we might see some outrageous numbers. The one thing that is, I mean, I've kind of come to see recently is, when we look at how do guys do in the first 60 games of the year, that always includes April, and it's cold in April. We are starting now in what Charlie Manuel calls hitting season, right? It's going to be warm. Offenses do well. This could be the one year where the hitters are ahead of the pitchers at the beginning of the year, and I think uh, Bryce Harper is going to do just fine. So where is he in Philly now? Because me being a guy that was in D.C. for 13 years, you know, when he was in the minors, covered him, came right up, and boom, all of a sudden it's over. We knew it was going to happen for a while, but it was over in D.C. He was probably the 
you know, the third or fourth most popular athlete in Washington, D.C., which is hard enough to believe. But basically, you could be a scrub on the Redskins and you're getting the number one, the number two spots. But on the other side of things, like in Philadelphia, where is he? Is, is he as popular as Embiid? Any of the Philadelphia Eagles? Where is he in the sports pantheon out there? Well, I mean, and Ryan knows this is first and foremost a football town, but I would say right now, you said the name, I think Embiid is regarded as the number one athlete in town. Uh, I'll put Carson Wentz right at the top. Of course, when you're the quarterback, you're not always loved, right? It's always a love-hate thing. But Carson Wentz is uh, certainly at the top of any list you have of compelling Philadelphia athletes. After that... There's really nobody on the Flyers yet. Claude Giroux doesn't have that kind of personality. Carter Hart, the goalie, is too young. Ben Simmons of the Sixers is too up and down. Uh, more of a polarizing figure. In terms of the Eagles, yeah, I mean, there are some great players on the team. So I think I'd – Ryan, tell me if you disagree. I'd probably put Harper third after those two guys. I think um, Philly is a city where the legends kind of play uh, more than – even the current players. I mean, I guess Utley was a, a an example where it wasn't necessarily the case where, um, you know, you're looking back to Mike Schmidt and other guys. But I, I think that the legends tend to be more revered in Philly. Mike Schmidt now, who was kind enough to come on the show with us, which I couldn't believe, uh, Bernie oh, nice. Ferrant. <laughs> we, um, you have all these Philadelphia legends who – uh, it seems like after their career, they have a, a much better standing with the city than they did during their time. One example, and I'm shifting sports here because we're sp- generally supposed to talk baseball, but one example <laughs> that I, <laughs> one example that I could think of that um, kind of lost favor with the fans was um, Donovan McNabb, who ended up coming down to where I'm at now and where Holden was when he came down here, uh, DC. Yeah, well, Donovan Donovan worked hard to do that to himself. I mean, Donovan was the guy who would always say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Um, and even so, I mean, you, you say that and there is some truth to it, but a couple of years ago when they had the Donovan McNabb, you know, uh, retired his jersey, put him in the Eagles Hall of Fame and all of that, he got an amazing standing ovation. People all had their McNabb jerseys, so... It's a funny thing with Philadelphia in that we will we'll criticize our guys pretty harshly on a regular basis. But when push comes to shove, we love them and we'll show them that. It's why so many athletes stay in the city and stay here forever. Um, and I, I – listen, where's Bryce Harper going to be down the road? You mentioned Utley. I think Utley's one of the absolute truly beloveds. Brian Dawkins with the Eagles is one of the truly beloveds. Bernie Perrant is one of the truly beloveds. Bryce Harper signed a, what, 12, 13-year contract? 13, yes, sir. That lasts out. Yeah, that the, if he plays that out, they win a World Series. They'll, they'll put up the statue. Absolutely. So you touched on it uh, briefly. We talked about the potential of 400 hitter. Um, how likely do you think it is that we're going to see something this season that people are going to talk about for years, similar to like 1994, where Tony Gwynn could have hit 494, or Matt Williams could have hit 61 home runs in 1994. Um, and do you think if somebody comes out and hits 25, even 30 home runs, that it has a value in terms of uh, the historical rel- relevance? Um, 
how I think it's extremely likely that one of those things will happen, that there will be somebody who just gets really hot this year, who plays well over the course of 60 games and puts up some ungodly number that if you were to translate that over 162, it would break all kinds of records. Whether it's going to be 30 home runs or whether it's going to be a guy who's able to hit 400, I think somebody's going to do something like that. If I can figure out who it is, I'm going to get to the casino and bet on it. I haven't quite figured that part out yet. And I think the shame of it is that it will never be given historical legitimacy. That it's almost going to be like Roger Maris after 1961. People came to accept it, I think, after a while. But originally, when he hit that 61st home run and they stuck that asterisk up there, that people said, like, nah, it was a phony, it was a fraud, it was an expansion year, it was a longer schedule, or whatever, whatever, Mickey Mantle. Um, so if somebody achieves greatness this year, the curse of it is everybody will always give the yeah, but, and this is going to be the yeah, but season. And the, and, and also the team that wins the world series this year and, you know, uh, God bless them, whoever does it, they're still going to get the yeah, but not fair, but that's, what's going to happen. You know, it's it, it's funny that you bring up the Vegas thing because Holden does a lot of um, gambling podcasts, a lot of gambling shows, and uh, I'm curious where where do you stand now? Because I I know you had texted me about potentially betting on a 400 hitter, and um, I, yeah. I believe what was it eight to one at the time? Eight to one. Yeah. Where, if I if I can get myself to a casino, and I I haven't been venturing much off my block, so I really haven't been going anywhere. Uh, but if I can get myself to a casino, I, I would, why not take the shot, right? I mean, I'm not a big gambler, but, uh, if I put 50 bucks on eight to one for somebody hit 400 and collect, uh, 400 bucks, well, that'd be the right number, wouldn't it? That would be great. Uh, I, I like those odds. You, you, when, when I brought it up, you were nice enough to produce the numbers and it's been what, three times in the last 20 years or something like that. So what I have, yeah, I, I actually have it up because uh, I knew we would talk about it. Look at me trying to be prepared. Uh, Holden, give me a hard time. <laughs> um, <laughs> since since 1997, we have Tony Gwynn in 97, 403, Larry Walker, 97, 417, and then Chipper Jones, 409 and 208. Or no, Ichiro? I thought Ichiro did it one year. No, he did it over a couple different spans of 60 games, but never to start uh, a season. Okay. So that's three times in whatever, 23 years, right? So that works out to be about one out of eight. And again, given the weather, right? Because yours are all at the start of the season. Right. Okay. So given that we're starting the season in, in August uh, or late July, I I like the chances. And I I advise nobody to ever follow my lead in betting. That's a reckless <laughs> thing to do. But but. Holden, you, you, you do that show. I just bet for myself. But I, I, if I get the chance, I will absolutely make that bet. I'm, I'm with you 100% on that. I, it's I, only 8-1, to one, Spader. Is that what you said? It's Yeah, plus yeah. 800. I mean, that's right around where it needs to be then, if, that's, if it happens once every eight years. So, yeah, I mean, why not? It's a fun bet. It's not like you're mortgaging your house on it. Right. And it's bucks. an odd year, so I think I think odd things are going to happen. I think generally when it comes to baseball, exactly what you're saying, you know, these things happen because they just almost are bound to happen. They have to happen. It's how many times 
I mean, we're dealing with this whole put a, and Holden and I have belabored on it, talking about putting a runner on second base for no reason, which drives me nuts. Uh, I hate that. <laughs> it's it's going to be a very strange year, and uh, I think we're going to see some strange things happening. Yeah, and um, I, 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 I'm sorry, I'm almost saying a sentence here. Um, I think it's going to be fun. You know, it's not going to be regular baseball, and people who want it to be what it always is will be aggravated. And I'll field those calls on every show. Uh, I mean, I, I have people calling me today who like, I can't believe they're putting the DH in the National League. I'm thinking that's the least of your issues right now. But to me, I don't think I'm going to want this kind of baseball every year. But for one year, just to see fra- crazy, freaky things, I'm in. Yeah, we're going to be down on it just because there's been nothing for so long, too. I mean, that's the big thing. But since you're down there or up there or out there, so I'm out in Denver. I don't even know where the hell you you would be. You'd just be east of here since you're out there. Yeah, I'm over there. From where yeah. you are, we're over there. <laughs> Give me a Phillies preview, man. I, I want to know a little bit about this team from your side of things. I, I still think it's the Braves, the Mets, the Nationals. I look at them as the fourth team, but in a 60-game season, they could get hot. What's your take on the Phillies? Yeah, if they stay healthy, they can get hot. Um, I like their line. I like the lineup. I like the starting eight. Um, I think they're again. It's you, you know, is Andrew McCutcheon going to stay healthy? A guy's going to stay healthy. If they do, I think they have a very good defensive lineup, and I think they can hit the ball. Uh, I like the fact that they changed the manager. I understand people think managers don't win you more than four or five games a year, but if we got three wins from Joe Girardi that would have been losses from uh, Gabe Kapler, that could make all the difference in the world. Uh, I expect Aaron Nola to have a good bounce-back year, again, if healthy, uh, and I think he, I think he is. Um, the getting Wheeler from the Mets is a good pickup. After that, I don't have a lot of faith in the rotation. Maybe Ryan likes Nick Bavetta more than I do. I know Ryan's friends like Nick Bavetta more than I do. <laughs> you can say his name. I know he listens every once in a while. Jack. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, uh, was it Jack? Uh, what's his last name? Fritz. <laughs> That's him. That's the guy. Uh, yeah, the head of the Nick Bavetta fan club. Um, and I really don't have faith in the bullpen and was hoping they would make more changes in the bullpen. So they're going to win and lose a lot of seven to five games this year. Um, I think the Braves are probably the best team in the division. You know, you mentioned the Nationals. The Nationals just seem and, – and by the way, the Braves – how long is Freddie Freeman going to be out for the Braves? You know, is, it, is this thing going to cost him 10 games, 20 games? The Nationals have guys who aren't going to play, who are going to opt out. So I still, I would go Braves. I would go Braves, Phillies, Nationals, and you have to give me a reason to believe in the Mets. I I think the best case here, if you're going to bet on the National League East, is to write the five teams down on a piece of paper Throw away the Marlins and then put the other five, uh, other other four in a, a hat and and pick out of the hat. I think that's our best. Yeah, shot. <laughs> it is, and which is why um, it's going to be decided again by something fluky. It's going to be decided by somebody we don't expect is going to hit 350 this year. 
somebody we don't expect. Well, in a 60-game season, right, nobody's going to pitch more than, what, 80 innings and have 12, 14 starts. Somebody's going to win. You know what? It's going to be tough for anybody to win 10 games, but somebody's going to win 10 games, get hot. Um, and some team is just going to go on a run, and that team is, is going to win it. And uh, it could be any of those four teams. Again, I still don't believe in the Mets, but it could be the Braves, the Phillies, or the Nationals, any of them. This would probably be the best season for uh, Fernando Valenzuela or, uh, what was it, Mark the Bird Fitterich. Uh, I think oh, <laughs> both yeah. of them would, would have done pretty well in a 60-game season. But to shift gears on you a little bit, um, I, I've got to ask you, as uh, as Holden already alluded to, you know, this is a thrill for me to have you on our show, and uh, I grew up listening to you. Uh, is You've this been the, on my show. How can it be a thrill? We, the, the, we've talked <laughs> a thousand times. Uh, it's it's just cool for me. It, it's bringing me back to, I feel like, uh, you know, I'm in ni- uh, 1995, 1996, listening right, to you, my right, father's right. car. We're not, we're not in seventh grade anymore. Okay, go on, go on. But um, I, I've got to ask you, just to pump up my own ego here, uh, is this the first time you had a um, somebody who used to phone into your show? Uh, as somebody interviewing you. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry to say it is not, but but uh, it's still, it is a pleasure for me. And I will say that you have been helpful to me throughout the years. Uh, I mean, when I've done col- some baseball columns sometimes and I've wanted to try to prove a point, you are always an email or a phone call away. And, and research that I never would have been able to do you were able to get it and you were able to nail it. Um, your calls to our show last year, and let me just say, the only reason we stopped those calls is because the Phillies went in the tank and you know, I came to the conclusion that like, okay, people don't want to talk about the Phillies anymore. So, sorry, Ryan, you're out. Uh, but <laughs> if, that starts, if that starts this year and people are into it and the Phillies are doing well, you can expect that I'm going to ask you to come on every Saturday. Uh, well, I'm going to need you back. So, so that the, whatever you're saying to me, understand the respect I have for you and the value you have added to my work over the years is absolutely something that I appreciate. Well, I, I really appreciate that, Glenn. Uh, one last thing that I want to ask you about is something you and I talked about, and I think it's just a matter of coincidence. I ended up working for the Buffalo News and uh, covered yeah. the Bills. Uh, your childhood team. I know you were born in New York City, but raised in Buffalo, right? Yep, I moved to Buffalo when I was three. Yeah, so you know, you grew up enjoying the uh, Buffalo Bills, and they had this ball player, Cookie Gilchrist, who I became fascinated with because he, to me, and I know um, what's his name, uh, Mark Carfagno, uh, kind of. He's very aggressive in his approach for Dick Allen to be in the Hall of Fame, but I agree with it. Yeah, it may pay off for him this year. Yep. I, I agree with it, but I also think that a guy like Cookie Gilchrist, um, he was hampered by by really racism in the, in the 60s. And when you look at his career in the NFL and what he did in the Canadian Football League and then think about the fact that that was the um, – in Canton, Ohio, it is the Pro Football Hall of Fame – uh, he's somebody, in my opinion, who absolutely belongs. You know, it's funny you say that because uh, on our show today, we Ray Dinger and I interviewed Herschel Walker, right? 
Yep. And Herschel Walker is a guy who spent the first three years of his career in the USFL and ran for 2,500 yards one of those years. And in three years ran for 5,300 yards in the USFL. That's what I said, right? Um, and all of that is forgotten and the Pro Football Hall of Fame doesn't look at it and consider it. And if they did, Herschel Walker would absolutely be in the Hall of Fame. So Cookie Gilchrist. So I'm an eight-year-old kid in Buffalo, New York. And I turn on TV and see this thing football for the first time in my life. And Cookie Gilchrist was the guy for the Bills. And for people who don't know, which is most people, because we're going back to the 1960s, he was Jerome Bettis. He was the big, he was John Riggins. He was the big, tough fullback that weighed 250 pounds, which is as much as linemen weighed back then and would run through people, and I thought he was the greatest thing ever. Uh, and he just became – everybody has that first player in whatever sport that was your guy, and he was the guy that I loved. And I made my dad – actually, they didn't sell jerseys as much back then. I, my dad, who was an artist, took a white T-shirt and painted the number 34 on it for me, and I wore it until it had holes in it. And so um, Cookie Gilchrist was the great player on the, on the Buffalo Bills. And I just, I loved him. Uh, and the first time my sports heart ever got broken was when I was, I don't know, 10, 11 years old, and they traded him to Denver. And I didn't, it's like I was too young to understand that they would trade guys. You just figured a guy was on your team forever, right? He's the only guy you knew. He'll be there forever. And when they traded him, it just, I, I think I cried. Um, and he had a great career. Yeah, he went, he started in the CFL. He didn't go to college. I remember his football card in the back when it said college. With him, it said none, which was fascinating to me. <laughs> um, he was a guy who was a black guy ahead of his time in that he, he didn't take BS from people. And he wanted to be treated in a way that black players were not treated back in the 1960s, and um, it, it certainly hurt his career, but he stood up for himself as a man, and I respect that. Uh, and Ryan, when I saw that you got involved in doing some stuff for the news and you did some writing on him, I was just delighted because cookie man, the cookie never crumbles. He, he really was uh, fascinating. And um, it, it kind of makes me think of one other thing, because when I think of Glenn Macnow, I always thought of a, a baseball guy, to be honest with you, I, because I, I guess, I don't know, there's that uh, reputation that um, you guys at WIP have that it's, you know, it's four for four radio. But I, I always leaned on you for baseball content. And um, mm -hmm. you, gr you grew up in a place that didn't have a professional baseball team since 1915. Now, I know you're a little bit older than me, but <laughs> you weren't around, no, for the, back that far. <laughs> weren't around for the Buffalo Bisons. Um, how, did, how did you make that shift going from, um, you know, northern New York without baseball to professional baseball? Well, so, um, yeah, they, we didn't have we didn't we had minor league team. We had the Buffalo Bisons minor league team. And when I was really young, they were a farm team of the Washington Senators. And uh, I remember I went with the Boy Scouts one night when the Senators came to town to play the Bisons. Like the Phillies would go to Reading or Lehigh Valley every year. Um, and I saw Frank Howard in a home run hitting contest and sat in like the fourth row and thought he was the biggest guy I'd ever seen. He was six foot seven. 
He was, he, he was enormous. I still remember the home runs he was hitting in that stadium. And then they became a farm team of the Mets. Uh, and so I remember seeing like the Ron Swobodas before they came up and guys like that. And then I'll tell you the one game I remember going to as a kid and I'm not sitting on my computer. You can look this up on baseball reference. If you have the opportunity there, um, they became a farm system of the Reds and we had heard about this kid coming up, Johnny Bench, who was, I don't know, 19, 20 years old. And so my friends and I took the bus downtown to watch the Bisons play. And Johnny Bench was the catcher. And we were so excited. And he took a foul tip off his hand and broke a finger. And I think he was broke maybe a thumb. It was out for a month. And I think if you look at his stats, he, he played like just a handful of games for the Bisons. Anyway, that was so... The the question is, what team do you end up rooting for when you don't have a team of your own? When I was in Little League, I got picked by the Tigers. They gave us that great uniform. We had like full uniforms back then as opposed to just a cheap T-shirt. And it was that beautiful white uniform with the old English D in navy blue. And I just thought that in the, in the, the dark blue hat with the D on it. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. I bought my first baseball glove was a Dick McAuliffe glove. He was the second baseman for the Tigers. And so I became a Tigers fan from the, the time I was a little kid. So I, I did and pull it up. I, I did pull it up. Johnny Bench actually hit uh, 23 home runs in just 99 games for Buffalo, uh, slugging 520 through the minor leagues. Uh, Their triple um, uh, A team. But um, yeah. Glenn, uh, just, I think I was at that 99th game. Because I'm telling you, I was at a game where he broke a thumb and left the game. And I, as far I mean, maybe he came back later in the season, but I just remember people saying like, "Oh, he's done for the year." Um, Glenn, I, I personally, uh, Colton's giving me a hard time because I'm, I'm fanboying a little bit, but I really can't yeah, thank yeah, you enough sure. for for joining us. Um, uh, on behalf of both of us, it, it's you know it's a pleasure to talk with you. Always a pleasure to talk sports, and I always appreciate your mentorship. You've helped me out a, a great deal more than um, you probably realize. Uh, everybody, you can follow Glenn Macnell on Twitter at the real or excuse me, real Glenn Macnell. He's a host at WIP in Philadelphia, which is a intercom partner, and then um, does the Eagles pregame show. He's a partner, as I mentioned, at Kajakin Brewing Company and then does a column for uh, Metro Philly. And what do you have now, like 24 books that you've written? Uh, six adult books and about a dozen kids books. So, yeah, I guess not quite Get, 24. Getting up there. Um, but thanks a lot for joining us, Glenn. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. It is Thank my you, pleasure. And, and Ryan and Holden, it's my pleasure to speak with you and. Hey, when baseball uh, starts up, Ryan, you're coming back on my show. I appreciate it. Thanks again, my friend. All right, guys. Be well. How are you feeling now, Spader? You, you calming down? Uh, I'm sorry, man. I just get excited, you know? No, this, I'm actually... This is I somebody think, I listened to when I was four or five years I think old. it's terrific that you did, actually. I mean, it's happened to me before. I've told you about players and stuff, but... You know, it's it's different. This is your guy that you grew up listening to. Actually, it is kind of funny because I listened to a guy named Kevin Matthews back in high school in Chicago. And I think it was 670, which is the score, which carries, you know, all these games. They're the big one in Chicago. And, and last year, 
that guy and I had a conversation on Twitter. I told him all about it. It was pretty cool. So I get it. You're geeking out, man. Good job. Way yeah, to go. Mike I, Schmidt, not geeking out. No, man. I, I, I maintained, uh, I think, um, professionalism with Schmidt. I never saw Schmidt play, actually. And, um, I mean, obviously, he's a Philadelphia legend, a Phillies yeah. legend. But um, I don't know. It, it's it's just well, different. Let me when, say this. Let and, me just tell you this, that um, in typical Philadelphia fashion, your sports talk show hosts are completely fair weather. He's like, you know, the Phillies were not playing well, so you couldn't come on. Now he's like, please come on my show. And then, you know, if they're bad, you're going to get kicked off again. This is typical Philadelphia. This is not about him. This is about you and your ilk. <laughs> Don't put that evil on me, man. You know, it's the producers who come down and say, <laughs> they say, they say, you, you have to talk about the Redskins team name for four hours. <laughs> yeah, yes, literally. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. But um, no, nah, it's uh, like I said, it's, it's just something that, uh, was uh, really cool for me. I listened to the guy for, I don't know, 20 years, 30 years. And um, one thing that I didn't address with him that I think I mentioned to you is, and you can give me a hard time because I I, um, uh, I told you about it and I think you called me, oh, a loser or something. But I used to call into a show with a moniker. Yeah, you're a loser. <laughs> I called in as Dr. Burl. And oh he thought God. his um, his co-host at the time, Anthony Gargano, thought it was the greatest thing. Or maybe he was just playing it up for radio. He would be like, we got Dr. Burl on the line. And then Mac now would be like, oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> just geek out. I, I just always wanted to talk about the numbers. And the um, the irony there is. I guess when you call into a radio show and you start spewing numbers as a caller, they're like, all right, shut, shut the fuck up. We don't, really yeah. right. And um, now I go on to a show and do nothing but talk numbers. <laughs> Things change, dude. Back when he started, it was probably like caller driven radio, too. Like you just open up the phone lines, you'd have people call in and they just say something and then you'd react to it. Because he's been in it for a long time, hasn't he? Yeah, I think he's uh, just about all my life. So 80s. Uh, uh, I don't know if he got started in the 80s or the 90s, but I know long before he was on radio, he um, was doing um, sports writing. And he was named the best sports writer in Philadelphia in 1993. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe even to this day, he still teaches a class at um, St. Joe's. Uh, he got the uh, he actually got the nickname. Uh, Mac now got the nickname. The prof uh, the prof is what they call him, but the professor because of um teaching the uh, course at St. Joe's Prep. Hmm. Good stuff. Good times. I enjoyed that. And I know that you did a million times more than I did. <laughs> yeah, you're sitting there listening. Might as well. <laughs> I was. I was legit listening like I was, you know, just listening to any old podcast. So it was enjoyable. I told you that. Well, I'm glad uh, you enjoyed the show. And uh, hopefully yeah, everybody, hopefully every, everybody out there who also enjoys the show gives us a five-star rating and then you gotta say goodbye uh i'm not very good with the sign-offs i'm not not very smooth but uh thanks everybody for listening to the walk off uh i am ryan spader available on twitter at the ace of spader and my co-host and uh i guess other mentor sort of even though he's busting my balls is Holden Kushner, available at Holden Radio.